Good to see everybody, and happy Father's Day to the dads out there, as we have already said today. And so we are going to be continuing in our sermon series in Matthew chapter 5, what is known as the Sermon on the Mount. And so I have a question for you, and that is, what does big tech, Facebook, Instagram, Google, what does big tech, government overreach, inner city riots, police brutality, Antifa, the far right idolizing Donald Trump, and ransomware attacks all have in common. And if you said the year 2021, you would not be wrong. But as the great 1980s song says, everybody wants to rule the world. All of these have in common inheriting the earth. All of these are seeking to inherit the earth. And when we come to Matthew chapter 5 on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is no less political. But he gives a very different approach to all that we have seen that's been tried to be accomplished with inheriting the earth in the past year. And if you notice in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, Jesus begins by speaking of the kingdom of heaven. He says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And now in Matthew 5, 5, Jesus says, Blessed are the meek. So another language of humility for they shall inherit the earth. So it is no accident, do not miss this, that Matthew is intentionally writing this to phrase heaven on one side and earth on the other. That's intentional. There's a reason why Matthew wrote it this way. Maybe Jesus always said it in this order, but Matthew had a specific reason for pointing out, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. And the reason why is because that's a very, 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 I cannot say it enough, very important biblical idea. Do you know why? What's the very first verse in the Bible? Uh Uh-oh. In the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. There we go. We're tracking together. Okay. All right. Matthew is saying, that in Jesus, we see something very much like a new creation happening in Jesus and what He is doing and what He's teaching and in His ministry. And then Matthew puts in between, Matthew 5, 3 and 5, 5, in between this kingdom of heaven and inherit the earth, he puts this very interesting phrase that Josue preached on last week, so I won't say a whole bunch, but we want to know what is the idea of this inheriting the earth, this new creation. What is that like? And Matthew says in Matthew 5, verse 4, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. That seems out of place. That seems heaven, earth, why is there comfort in between here? Because comfort is exactly what God tells the prophet Isaiah to cry to Israel when he's bringing them out of exile. If you look in Isaiah chapter, you can flip there if you want, but we'll put on the screen Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 and 2. God says this, Comfort, comfort, my, comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended. Her iniquity is pardoned. It's gone. And that she has received from the Lord's hand, 
double for all her sins. What a beautiful verse. What a beautiful thing to hear over you as you are being brought out of exile and captivity. And what Matthew wants you to see in Matthew 5, these first three verses of the Sermon on the Mount, is that in Jesus of Nazareth, God is doing a new creation. And at the heart of that new creation, He is bringing rebels out of exile. He is bringing wildly rebellious sinners back home. That's what God is doing in Jesus throughout history. And He's taking people, Isaiah would say, He's taking people whose warfare has been ended. So that means he's taking people who have been at odds with him, who have been at war with him, and he's ending the hostility between them. God is doing that. He's pardoning iniquity. That's a word you don't hear every day. When's the last time you used the word iniquity? Go clean your room. I'm tired of your iniquity, son. Right? (laughs) Like, no, no one uses that word, right? It comes from the Latin word not equal or not just. So think about this. He's forgiving all of their injustices that they've done against him. He's not just forgiving them, but he's handing them. He's not just saying you're forgiven, but he's handing them double for all their sins. As Dave Ramsey says, better than I deserve. Oh no, much, much better to these rebels that Jesus is bringing into his kingdom, into new creation. And so I take it then that in today's beatitude, to be united to Jesus is to be brought out of exile and to step into new creation. Jesus isn't certain, Jesus isn't just rescuing certain personality types. When you hear the word meek, Don't think that Jesus has simply come to those who are passive or who are prone to compromise or easygoing because that's not what the word meek means in Matthew 5, 5 when Jesus says, blessed are the meek. The word meek is not really a word that we use often, kind of like iniquity. We don't really use that word a whole lot. I was talking to someone on the phone this week and I, I tried using that word meek and they said, are you saying meat? No, I said meek, meek. Now, meat might be blessed, but that's not what Jesus is talking about in here, okay? When, when um, Jesus is using this, uh, there, there, was a, there was a great preacher, his name's uh, uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones. He preached a sermon, uh, a long sermon series, uh, Studies on the Sermon of the Mount. And this is what he had to say about meek. He said this, There are people who seem to be born naturally nice. That's not what the Lord means when He says, Blessed are the meek. That's something purely biological, the kind of thing you get in animals. One dog is nicer than another. I don't know if I agree with him on this next one. One cat is nicer than another. Okay, sorry to you cat lovers. That is not meekness. So, it does not mean to be naturally nice or get on with it, nor does it mean weakness in person. Still less mean a spirit of compromise or peace at any price. How often are these things mistaken? How often is the man regarded as meek who says, uh, anything rather than a disagreement? Just let me sit on my couch and eat my Cheetos. Just move on. 
Jesus is not saying, blessed are those who don't, have, uh, who don't have disagreements for they will inherit the earth. And all of my Enneagram 8s in the room said, Amen. The Greek word used for meek here is pronounced praos. It's a military term used to describe Greek war horses. The Greek army would go up to the mountains and they would go and wrangle in wild horses. I think one of the greatest movies, and I will say this because it's Father's Day, is the movie 300 with Gerard Butler. Okay? If you've never seen that, and you're a man, you need to call me, and we will watch it this week. I will, I, I will, okay, we, we will watch it. You will come over to my house, and we will watch 300. But the Greeks, what they would do is they would go and they would uh, bring in wild rebel horses. They'd go up to the mountainside, uh, horses that had been left unattended for a, for a while. I'm not much of an equestrian guy. I've seen some horses here around Richmond. But apparently you leave a horse alone by itself out in the mountains wild enough, they're pretty wild. Okay? Uh, Yellowstone's another favorite movie of mine. Uh, Kevin Costner's greatest role. Great show. I'm getting off track here. Anyway, they, they tame these horses, right? But the Greeks would do that, and what they would do is after a while they would train these horses, and some they would end up using to pull wagons, Others they would use to transport weapons into battle. Other horses they would use for racing just to get out and, and the guys race. But other horses were qualified as war horses. And those horses are that had been meeked. They had, been no, they had no longer become unruly or rebellious or out of control. They would actually become so tamed by their master, they could rush into battle at 35 miles an hour with darts and flaming arrows coming at them and slide to a stop at the command of its master. The Greeks would call these horses praos, which is the same word Jesus uses here. A meek horse was one that had kept its strength. It didn't lose its strength. It kept its strength. It kept who it was but it placed it under the authority of the one who had tamed it. Do you hear that? To be meek was, not, was to be taken from a state of rebellion and made completely loyal to and dependent upon one's master. It was also to be taken from uh, a mountain of fearfulness, wildness, and made unflinching in the presence of danger. These horses were submissive, not spineless. When you hear the word meek, don't think spineless. To put it another way, these praos, these war horses, died to themselves. Jesus says, you want to know what it means to flourish? Look at the meek. Look at those who are no longer unruly or rebellious towards me. Those are the ones who will inherit the earth. He, he's not saying, give up who I created you to be with the abilities and the powers and just become, uh, you know, just light and fluffy. No, take the characteristics that God has given you and submit them to Jesus, and those are the ones who will inherit the earth. We don't gather here on Sundays to be nice people. If, you're, if, if today's your first time at church, welcome. But we're not here to make moral, nice people. We don't sing songs in order to chill us out. 
We don't scatter into our neighborhoods, networks, and nations to become more moral and have our best life now. Nor do we align ourselves with a political party in order to gain power and influence in our society and culture. Can you imagine having a war horse who is ridden by a commander and that horse's only intention is to actually take over the world? Not the imagery here, right? It's submissiveness to the commander. So instead, how ought Christians to live? Like a war horse. I love that. What a great Father's Day. I don't do sermon titles much. I, I kind of just, I just don't have time for them, I guess. I don't, just give me a simple word. But today is meek. How war horses and a severed ear show us the world's future. That's about as manly as I can get it for today. For today. I, I'm just so proud. I've never been prouder of a sermon title. That's the most unmeek thing I can say, preaching a sermon on meekness, okay? But like a war horse, we place who we are under the authority of the one who has tamed us. We don't seek to rule the world because the one who has tamed us already does. Our Father who art in heaven... Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth. Right? Heaven and earth. Jesus raises from the dead and he says, go make disciples. No, he doesn't. What does he say? All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. The new creation. Right? He's doing something. And we move as followers of Jesus from wild rebellion to loyal dependence upon Jesus. We die to ourselves and we use meekness for the benefit of others. Those who don't look like us, those who don't sound like us, those who don't believe like us, those who don't live like us, and yes, even our enemies. That's what makes us Christians. Because the one who is meek and lowly did that for us, to us. Listen, God didn't save you just because you're, you think you're you're moral or you kept, the, you kept the code and God's like, good for you. I'll now give you eternal life. If you're, if you're a Christian, it's actually the opposite. It's like, hey, you're a wild horse on a mountain that no one could tame. And he came after you. Because one day, Jesus says, the meek will inherit the earth. We don't need to cling to power. It will be given to us by Christ. And this past week, when Southern Baptist Convention met, we're not a Baptist church. I kind of left that game a while ago. I grew up in Southern Baptist Church, so I'm very sympathetic towards that specific denomination. But it was revealed that there was a member of the executive committee who was brought uh, an incident, several incidents, of uh, sexual abuse. And his comment was, we don't need to uh, basically displease the base. Don't bring this out into light because we don't want it to displease the base. <laughs> and praise God, I, I prayed this past week for uh, my extended family, uh, Southern Baptist Convention. It was great to see them actually take resolutions to say, you know what, these things were wrong and these things were evil and we are going to deal with them. So praise God that the Spirit of God worked in those people to uh, put that to death. And we need to continue to pray for those brothers and sisters. But what that means is we are no different than the Roman Catholic Church who's had their problems. 
we are no different than the world who has the problems. Do you see that? The only mark of difference is that Jesus has come and wrangled us in. We ought to be the most meek. We ought to be the most people who say, let what's hidden in the darkness be brought to the light. Why? Because Jesus is raising the sun of new creation and bringing exiles out of darkness and into light and making us like Him. If the word meek would have struck in the image of Greek war horses with Jesus' pagan hearers, inherit the earth would also have echoes with Jesus' Jewish hearers because that's exactly what Israel had been longing for ever since God's promise to Abraham. In Genesis 12, 3, God promises to Abraham, in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Israel's God created the heavens and the earth, and he made a series of promises as its aim of God's people in God's place under God's rule and blessing. And here is Jesus God incarnate on the scene, in the story, in the script, showing up. And notice he doesn't say, blessed is Israel, for they will inherit the earth. Right? He says, blessed are the meek. Because inheriting the earth, experiencing life the way it ought to be. You know that the aim of Christianity is not that you would just die and go off, float off to a cloud and into some ethereal place. We're actually looking for the renewal of all things. Rocks, hills, plains, you know, the, what we sing at Christmas time, let and earth rejoice, right? Because Jesus is coming, and, and where the first Adam failed, Jesus as the second Adam will put all things to right, and we won't float off into some ethereal place. You don't have a body, you are a body. And Jesus will come and rescue and redeem that, and, and, and one day we will walk here on this earth, with Jesus as our true and greater Adam, ruling over us, and we will enjoy life the way it should be, and we won't have to be scared of those in power. And that, that is what forgiveness brings us into. Right relationship with God, in God's place, with God's people. That's amazing, and I can't wait for that. I cannot wait for that day. I've been a Christian a while. One of the things I can't wait to be redeemed is, uh, is Christian media. <laughs> and, uh, and some of my people are like, amen. Some of you are like, what? I like, I like Carmen. What are you talking about? Michael W. Smith. Okay, sorry. All right. But I'll tell you this. There is one thing that's out right now, and it's incredible. It's called The Chosen. It's a series. I don't know if you've seen it. If, if you haven't, just Google The Chosen and watch the series. It's incredible. Uh, it's worth your time. My wife's favorite character is Matthew. Mine's Jesus, just because that's the way it's known. I'm just kidding. But my wife's favorite character is Matthew. My, my, I like Matthew. Is really, if you've seen it, it's really, really cool. But the way they depict Matthew is autistic. It's genius. It's, it's beautiful because, because so often we just think, look, Jesus is coming after, you know, people who look like me. He's coming after everyone, right? Everyone. All types of people. And there's this one scene in the second season. It begins, uh, John is sitting down. He's interviewing people. He's starting to write his gospel. And it's really beautiful. He's scratching his head. He's trying to figure out. And there's a scene where Matthew shows up. And Matthew just says, my gospel will be very precise. <laughs> it's like, I'm sure it will, Matthew. 
Actually, it is. Because if you look at Matthew, like we won't go there now, but he begins the Gospel of Matthew, begins his Gospel with a genealogy, which is notorious for putting people to sleep. He actually traces out 42 generations in the first chapter of Matthew. Yes, Matthew, you were precise. That's right, you know? But I recently read this book. It's by Dane Ortland. It's called Gentle and Lowly. Um, someone gave this to my wife. I stole it uh, earlier this year, and I've, I've, I haven't finished it, but I've started reading through it. And um, one of the things that Ortland, Dane Ortland, uh, po- points out in this book is that the Greek word gentle here occurs four times in the New Testament. Three of them are in Matthew's Gospel. The fourth one is, is used by Peter. I'll leave you hanging for that one. We might not have time to get there. But Ortland says that of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, 89 chapters, there's only one place where Jesus tells us what his heart is. Want to know which Gospel depicts that? Matthew. Yes, Matthew, you were precise. Want to guess what Jesus says about himself? Look at Matthew chapter 11, verse 29. I think... 90% of my sermons, I end up quoting this verse. Matthew chapter 11, verse 29. I love hearing those pages turn. Bring your Bibles to church. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am praus, I am gentle and lowly in heart. This is what Ortland says on page 21 of his book, Gentle and Lowly. I don't have it quoted up here. It's just, I'm just going to read a book to you. Gentle and lowly. This, according to Jesus' own testimony, is Christ's very heart. This is who He is. He's tender, open, welcoming, accommodating, understanding, willing. If we are asked to say only one thing about who Jesus is, we would be honoring Jesus' own teacher, teaching if our answer is gentle and lowly. If Jesus had a website today, his own personal website, the most prominent line of the About Me drop-down would read, click, gentle and lowly in heart. This is not who he is to everyone indiscriminately. This is who he is for those who come to him, who take his yoke upon them, who cry to him for help. The paragraph before this in Matthew 11, if you want to go back and read it later today, Jesus gives us a picture of how he handles those who are unrepentant. Woe to you, Chorazin, and woe to you, Bethsaida, for I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than it is for you. That's someone who's got power. Gentle and lowly does not mean mushy and frothy. But for the penitent, the repentant, those who die to themselves, Jesus' heart of gentle embrace is never attached by our sins and foibles, and insecurities, and doubts, and anxieties, and failures. Amen to that. For lowly gentleness is not one way Jesus occasionally acts towards others. You might think that. You might think whenever we do our corporate time of prayer, that okay, now I'm going to confess, now you're going to be gentle and lowly and kind to me. No, what he has just said is, it's always that way. Gentleness is who Jesus is. It is his heart. You cannot ungentle himself. He cannot ungentle himself towards his own any more than you or I can change our eye 
color. It's who we are. Now, up to this point, I've tried to show you that meekness is basically taking someone who is rebellious and powerful and sinful and turning them into submissive. That's not the case with Jesus. When you want to understand meekness in relationship to Jesus, keep in mind that Jesus never had any rebellion. Jesus has never sinned. Jesus never had any horse-like wildness that had to be tamed and overcome. Instead, He has the omnipotence, the power, the ability to do something like crush you if you didn't know better. He says things like Matthew 11 that we just saw in the day of judgment. It would be better for you. Uh, it would be better for Sodom and Gomorrah, right, than Chorazin. He says in Matthew eleven twenty five, 25, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. There's this one scene in the Gospels where Jesus is with his, two of his boys, James and John. They're nicknamed the Sons of Thunder. They go to Samaria, they preach, and no response. You know, what, you know why they're called the Sons of Thunder? Because James and John are like, let's nuke them. <laughs> what a great altar call. Just as I... Oh, no one's coming. <laughs> you know, like that's what John and James wanted to see done, right? And by the end of it, John writes four books in the New Testament. The Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. And do you know what he's known as? The Apostle of Love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. That's from John. The guy who wanted to nuke the people who didn't respond to God's message. Right? Do you see what Jesus does with his power? He doesn't use it to overcome and to beat you into submission. He uses it to change you from the inside out. How do you think John went from this? Because Jesus changed him. These guys there were listening to Jesus, knew that after three years they had spent with Jesus, that Jesus' meekness didn't stem from him having to be tamed. It stemmed from his very heart. Read this morning in Matthew 26 is a beautiful, beautiful picture of this. There's this picture at the end of Matthew. If you look at Matthew 26, let's flip there, verse 49. Matthew 26. Matthew 26, verse 49. And then he came up to uh, Jesus at once and said, Greetings, Rabbi, and he kissed him. Now let's pause right there. This is Judas who said, I'm going to signify the guy to you that we should arrest by kissing him. The Greek word used here is the same Greek word that's used when the prodigal son comes home to the father and the father wraps his arm around him. Do you think that father just gave him one kiss? Glad you're back. My son, my son. And this is Judas coming up to Jesus. And he doesn't just give him one kiss. He repeatedly over. Rabbi, kiss, 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 kiss on the cheek. This is the one. This is the guy. This is the guy. And Jesus knows what's going to happen. And look at Jesus' response. Look what Jesus says. Friend. You know what? I'm going to use a, def, a different F word. <laughs> Fool. I don't know what you're thinking. <laughs> Fool. Do 
what you came to do. And then he came up, and I want you to, I want you to notice this in verse 51. Then he came up and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. And Matthew's going to slow down this scene for us. So, it's, it's, uh, it's, so we really catch it. And notice how he writes this in verse 51. And behold, one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest. It's like Matthew's just pushing pause for us in between each one, right? And cut off his ear. These guys were fishermen. I don't think he was aiming for his ear. Probably aiming for something else. But this is who Jesus had to deal with, right? He cut off his ear. Then Jesus said to him, put your sword back in its place. For all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you not think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? You know what a legion was? A legion composed of 6,000 soldiers. I'm not great at math, but 6,000 times 12 legions. 72,000 angels I can call down right here, right now. Do you guys forget that? Peter, do you guys forget that? Luke's gospel tells us that Jesus touched the severed ear of the slave and he put it back on his head and healed him. In the midst of all this, in the midst of all this chaos that's going on, in the midst of all this betrayal, in the midst of all this rabbi, rabbi, in the midst of all these clubs and all this darkness and all these arrows and all these swords and all this betrayal, Jesus touches the guy right here. Kind of reminds you of Genesis when God creates Adam and when God creates humankind and he reaches down to the dirt and he forms Adam with his hands, everything else he spoke. Jesus could have said, ear up. That would have been pretty freaky, okay? Well, what's he doing? New creation, right? In the midst of this. What Peter is seeing at the, is the end of the world. He's seeing Armageddon. He's seeing the pagans come up against Israel's anointed. And Peter is going to rule the world right here, right now in the garden. He is like so many of us who think we should take matters into our own hands rather than trust the meekness of Christ. Last year, I, uh, I noticed a couple stray hairs on my ear. You might not have had that happen, dads, but uh, I'll be vulnerable right now. And uh, for some reason, instead of just pulling them, uh, I thought, there's some scissors right there. I'll cut them. So, of course, I've never cut hair on my ears before because I'm only 38. And so I go and I look in the mirror and I missed it. And I cut my ear, my earlobe. I dropped those scissors and I jumped up and down. I said, oh, it hurts so bad, so painful. I was heading to an appointment. I don't know what I was thinking. I had to get Dora the Explorer Band-Aid and put it right here and go show a house. Like, what? who is this guy? You know? And, and I'll tell you what, every day for a week, I looked at my ear. I touched my ear. And I was like, it's never going to grow back. It's never. I'm going to have a slit in my ear the rest of my life. And if you get up, don't do this afterwards. I'll, I won't be meek to you. If you come up and you look at my ear, you'll see a little slit right here. And that's, that's from that. That's what that's from. But when Malchus, 
Think about this. This guy, church history, calls this guy Malchus. That's who this servant is. Malchus looked at his ear that next morning. What do you think he knew about Jesus? You get your ear cut off in the very moment of this situation. He might not have heard Jesus turn to Peter and say, do you not know I can call down 72,000 angels right now and fight for me? Then again, if you get your ear put on, you, you listen. So maybe he did hear. I don't know. I don't know what he heard at that moment. But what I do know is that Malchus... What I do know is that Malchus didn't simply hear the meekness of Christ, he experienced it. And that's what we get in the gospel. And if Malchus stuck around the next few days as things transpired and Jesus was illegally arrested and tried and beaten and sentenced to death and died on a cross, I can tell you, you know what Malchus more than likely heard if he hung around? Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they did with blood-filled throat, the very one. And do you not think Malchus, if he, I'm just using creativity here, but maybe Malchus was there and he's, he saw this happening and Malchus is like, yeah, this dude, he put my ear back on, I'm pretty sure he can get off that thing. And Jesus says, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. Meek, pure, undefiled meekness towards rebel sinners. Because in the end, those who inherit the world aren't social justice warriors. It's not the United States government. It's not Antifa or right conspiracy watchmen. And it's not even and kind people or the moral or the religious or even the immoral or irreligious who will one day rule the world. It's the meek. Those who see power not as a way to rule the world, but as a gift given them by God to then turn and submit to the king of the world. Those who place their strength and God-given personalities and characteristics and attributes and power under the rule and reign of Jesus and trust him with however the chips may fall. Let's pray. Father, we are so delighted. What good news to hear that the very one who is holy, holy, holy is also meek and gentle, gentle and lowly. And that you would bid us not to try to improve ourselves, but simply to come to you like the wild horse on a mountain that needs to be tamed. And that you'll pull out all of the rebellion that's in our heart and you'll turn and use us Lord you'll make us like yourself that's what you're doing here your heart's lowly and meek and you're calling us and you're painting a picture of those who would so be united by faith so Lord make us meek people people that the world does not have a category for and that Lord we would honor and glorify you your Christ, your Son, Jesus, whose name we pray. Amen.